Welcome to today's edition of the Metrics Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Jason Reichel, CEO of GoNimbly, the leader in revenue operations for companies including Twilio, Zendesk, PagerDuty, as well as many, many other B2B SaaS companies. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to have you here because I know we're both very passionate about revenue operations and the impact it has on companies, especially SaaS companies. So what I wanted to do for the audience was first just give you a minute to introduce yourself and go nimbly. Sure. So I am uh, Jason Michael, like you said. I'm the CEO of GoNimbly and co-founder of the organization. And I spent time both on consulting organizations through transformation, digital transformation, working with people on sales, CRM, sales operations work. And then I spent a good number of years in product SaaS-based roles. So I was the VP of product at a couple unicorn organizations um, during my tenure. And while I was the head of product at some of these organizations, I realized that a lot of B2B SaaS companies didn't know how to operate their revenue team. And by that, I mean specifically their sales, marketing, customer success teams. Those teams were not really operating in a way that I thought was efficient and in a way that I thought was about the customer. And in reality, all they were was kind of just demoing the product. And I saw a lot of great product companies fail because the revenue team didn't know how to make a connection to the people they were selling to, to the actual individuals buying. Um, and so I decided with some partners to start Go Nimbly, which is a revenue operations consultancy. Back in the day, we called it the Unified Business Stack Consultancy. And then a revenue operations has kind of taken hold is how we brand ourselves. And we help organizations break down silos internally on their, rev- on their revenue teams and uh, help them scale to where they're trying to go. Sometimes it's to IPO, sometimes it's to Series C, Series D, and so forth. Well, based upon some of the companies that you help run their revenue operations, you gotta be very proud. In fact, I believe I saw where someone with over two and a half billion dollars of ARR that you help manage revenue operations functions for? Absolutely, we're, uh, I think, we can say this safely. We are the largest single operator of revenue in Silicon Valley, maybe the world, as far as it relates to these really highly innovative organizations. We've seen it all. And it's really a unique. One unique thing about GoNimbly is we're more like an advertising firm. These companies use us in a subscription-based model. So we really lean in on learning about their business and being part of their organization. We're not a consultancy that just comes in and makes some recommendations and leaves. We actually help manage and do the work, either through augmentation or being their actual operators, depending on the size of the organization. Well, let's get right into it then. So one of the recent research studies that we conducted was How has revenue growth been impacted over the last six months by the COVID-19 pandemic? And one of the things that we've seen is um, ARR growth was forecasted to be about 40% overall for the B2B SaaS industry. We're now down to 20%. And in fact, in first half of the year, it was only a 7% year-over-year growth. The percentage of growth delivered by new name customer ARR is down almost 300% from last year. And CAC ratio, which measures the efficiency of customer acquisition, that cost is up 20% for every dollar of new ARR. So, and you've got your job cut out for you in the second half of the year. But before we talk about how you're going to help companies return to growth, can you tell me what, how you define revenue operations and what are the primary roles and responsibilities of a revenue operations professional? Sure. So 
I uh, think of your revenue team split into a yin and yang situation. The part that I call your go-to-market team is your sales, marketing, and customer success teams. They're the ones that are interfacing with your customers on a daily basis, either through you know mass emailing, nurturing, field work, sales calls, all of that stuff. And then you have your revenue operations team who are the operators who basically uh, help make the processes work, make the tools work, enable those folks and drive insights through your data in order to operate that side of the business effectively. That whole team I combine into one unit I call the revenue team. So if you hear me call the revenue team, I'm talking about your go-to-market people and your revenue operations people. If we're talking about the operators themselves, I'm talking about the revenue operators. I may just end up shorting that to operators. I am not talking about your business operators. I am not talking about your developers. I am not talking about that side of your business. We consider that product part of the business and that is not where we focus when we talk about revenue operations. So we're not talking about facilities per se, when we talk about uh, operators who manage revenue, we're talking about the sales process, the customer buying experience, all of those things that need to be operated in order to deliver a world-class selling organization, essentially. So that's how I define those two elements. And then the kind of primary responsibilities within that is, you know, at the top of this wheel, you may have a CRO or someone who kind of manages both sides of that business, both the go-to-market and revenue operations side. And then within revenue operations, you have a team of generalists who are unified, who are prioritizing all of the work across the go-to-market team based on the impact that it will have to the buying experience of the customer. Um, and so I believe a big part of a revenue operator's job is to break down silos by looking at customer gaps, filling those gaps in order to increase the value of each deal that is closed, uh, which you just threw out some numbers. So I'm happy you threw out some numbers because we can talk about those in a minute. But it's to, throw, to increase that uh, value of each customer that does close by delivering a gap-free customer experience. And we tend to believe that it's all about revenue growth and not so much about efficiency gained although you get, do gain efficiency by closing gaps down that your customers are feeling. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop you right there, Jason. So I was just on another podcast a few hours ago, and they had a very different perspective. Number one, they were saying that revenue operations is all about internal operational efficiency and gaining alignment between those go-to-market teams of marketing, sales, and customer success. Yep. And the external perspective of the customer experience it was really never talked about. So you're telling me that you start looking at the customer experience first before you look at the internal alignment? Yeah, because the question I would ask anyone that has that point of view is what are you aligning to? Well, they said they were aligning to the data flows and the process, the internal process integration. So we believe that a lot. So in, in order for their belief system to be true about how these things operate, right, would be that people are not aligned because of bad data that sounds to me like a product company trying to sell you a data tool. Uh, it doesn't sound like reality of what it takes to operate a business. The reason people don't align is very clear. Silo syndrome is a real thing that exists that has been documented and studied. And one of the key ideas of silo syndrome, the reason that this is created is because we have so many North Star metrics for the different departments. A marketing team might be uh, measured on how many leads it generates. Operations team on how many bugs it stop, uh, uh, tickets it answers. Uh, sales team on their quota, obviously. Uh, customer success on SAT levels. All of those things are important, but those are not the primary driver. You need one master driver that is above all else, which is increasing the revenue of each customer. And the only way you can do that is by delivering a better experience so that the customer doesn't make a decision 
to not spend with you or not to sign the longer contract or not to do a full expansion of your SaaS product. So what we found in our own research is that buyers come to your website if you're a SaaS company, especially if you're the name brands that we work with, like Zendesk and, and Twilio, they come to buy. What they're deciding in the buying process is how much political capital are they willing to spend on your B2B product. And the less gaps they feel, the more seamless they feel during that process, the more trust they have to go all in and really write the big check right up front. And so that is what we've seen is the value of revenue operations. We gain alignment by focusing on the customer because the customer, without the customer, we don't have a business. And those numbers that you just said in the beginning of the podcast are proof of that. Yeah. Well, the name of the podcast is, you know, metrics that measure up. So if you're focused on the customer experience, how do you then measure the return on investment of a revenue operations group? Is it just by revenue growth or are there other metrics that you want to measure? Uh, sure. So we have several methods that we use. So we believe that there are KPIs, real true KPIs for each of those teams, which we call momentum-based KPIs because those KPIs are directly tied to revenue growth. Right. And so a very simple one that is almost true in all SaaS organizations is you are 70% more likely to close the deal if you demo the product to someone. And so that would might be a true momentum based KPI for an organization where if you demo a piece of software, they buy. Right. Because you know, when you're measuring everything by revenue growth or, or revenue impact, like we could say, sometimes that's a long process, especially if you have an enterprise-based product like Salesforce, which might take three to six months to buy and then three to six months to implement, right? Uh, so you do need some, what we call key, you know, momentum-based KPIs. But then you have this whole devil set of KPIs that we call vanity KPIs or vanity metrics, which are all been put in place to protect silos. And all they actually do is reinforce this is my territory and this is what I've carved out and I'm doing my job. So if we don't hit our targets for the quarter, it's someone else's fault. Well, Those do not benefit an organization and they are the enemy of truly unified aligned teams. So are you saying that the age old, I need to have a lead commit number in marketing or MQLs, or in sales SQLs. Are you saying those are less meaningful metrics today? Yeah, let me ask you this. So is MQL number maybe a real key performance indicator for someone, a real momentum-based KPI? If someone came to you though, and you're the head of marketing and they said, hey, the sales team is complaining about leads and you went, well, I can just adjust my MQL score and I'll give them more leads. That's the first sign that that's actually a vanity metric that you're just controlling to defend yourself. Because if someone came to you and said, we needed more leads, and you really believed in your MQL as a indicator of revenue, you would say you're already getting all of the leads that I can give you. Well, you just gave away the secret of how marketing can make their numbers. We changed MQL criteria, but one of the things we do look at is how, what's the conversion efficacy of those MQLs? And I believe you have an entire model called 3BC that really tries to help look at how those leads turn into revenue, right? Yeah, we use a, a model that we, so, we have a two models for gap finding. And so we have started to market and I'm writing into a book for teams to read the levels of an op or operations team, a revenue operations team. And the first level, and I'm just going to go over it quickly because I think it does add to this. The first level of a revenue operations team is what we call intuition-based operations. 
And this is someone sees something that's going on in the organization. Maybe a field rep is like, oh man, it's really hard to enter my deals into Salesforce. They go tell the operator of your business, hey, it's really hard to enter my deals into Salesforce. That operator goes in, is a Salesforce admin, goes in, changes the layouts to Salesforce, makes it a little bit easier. Oh, great. Everyone's happy because it's efficient. That is intuition-based operations. This is where most SaaS companies start out when they're under 100 people. Uh, series A, seed round, those kind of organizations. Then you usually move into what I call experience-based operations. And experience-based operations is you go out because you're growing, you're a grown-up SaaS company now, and you go hire an operator who has the experience. And you stop listening to your team so much and you start listening to that person. So if you bring them in and they used to work at LinkedIn, they might say, well, in the past, when LinkedIn had a territory management issue, this is how we solved it. And you might go, excellent, let's do it that way. That's experiential-based operations. Uh, most organizations maneuver between intuition and experience-based. The big projects come from the experience of the team and the small projects come from the intuition. I think there is a third holy grail, which is customer-based operations. And that is managing and doing operations from the perspective of customer first. And in order to get there, you need to uh, shed the the... The intuition and customer, I mean, the intuition and the experience-based operation shackles. And the way you do that is by finding gaps in your buying experience. And so we use two methods. One is called 3VC, which is a proactive way of finding gaps. And what we do is we pull in all of your, sale, all of your sales data, all of your opportunity data and lead data. And we measure that through distinct stages based on the business that you are. But usually it's most SaaS companies follow a similar thing. You know, you have your negotiation, you have your starting phase, you have your demo, you have your negotiation, you have your closing of the paperwork, so on and so on. So most organizations follow a similar format. And then we measure that against four key, what we consider revenue operations KPIs, the velocity of those deals. So how fast do they move from each stage? The volume of those deals, how many do you have? And the value of those deals. And then we also look at the conversion. So that's the C. And we find on your own performance over the last six months, red areas. And we know those are gaps that your customers are feeling. So as an example, if you start to lose deals in stage two to three, that will show up in our three VC and we will focus our operational efforts holistically across sales, customer success, and marketing on solving that gap that the customer's experiencing. And so that is one way that we find those gaps and solve them. And then the other way we do is something called durability testing. And this is a proactive way of finding gaps, which is we will go and do things like secret shopping, competitive analysis, things that put us in front of where maybe the customers might find the examples. And what I found is when you do this work this way, you can benefit because you know that the data is saying that our customers are experiencing a drop in whatever, for whatever reason in this particular area, but people's experience and intuition still does matter. And so what you'll find is you can cut through a lot of the noise because a lot of people's intuition is just pet peeves. It shouldn't really be listened to at a business level, right? Uh, you shouldn't fundamentally change your business because of it. But sometimes people's intuition is correct. And when you find this method, you'll realize that, oh, sometimes the things that people wanted to do via experience or intuition are correct, but now I'm using data. And because I'm using data now, because I'm correcting this, I can actually measure how much we've improved over a series of time. I'm going to go back to your customer-based operations, that holy grail. Yep. Um, on a previous podcast, I had a gentleman named Martin Lewis who wrote the book, The DNA of the Buyer Journey. And it's all about mapping and understanding the customer buyer journey and say to hell with your sales process. It's more Correct. important about the buyer process. 
with your kind of vision of looking at the customer experience, how do you actually go out and evaluate what their buying experience is? Is it primarily through that secret shopping or do you have other techniques? First round is you listen to the customer. You listen to the customer and you, and you follow what they think the journey is. And then the gaps will dictate that maybe you need to do a durability testing and really understand where it actually is because maybe their process is wrong. I find that obviously that some businesses are broken, but in the SaaS field specifically, the buying journey is not what's broken. It's the personalized human care that's broken. If I'm being honest, it's the... Uh, it's not the stages and the steps that someone goes through. Most B2B buyers are happy with the B2B buying process. What they're not happy with is that they talk to one sales rep and then they get passed over to someone else. That person doesn't respond to their emails for a week. Then they get a cold call email from you that invites you to some, them to some webinar like they haven't even been doing demos with you. And then you know someone's asking them about some other partnership thing that's going on. And it's just, a, it's, it's just so obvious that your, your revenue team doesn't work as one one team to them that they start to think this product is great, but is this company great? That is where I find that we can make the most impact almost right away. Right. And so those are the processes that we're working out. And, you know, the, the, the book you just mentioned and, and the idea behind it is absolutely where go nimbly is going. And I think where revenue operations is going to actually do more interaction directly with the customer and map out those journeys more but it's not the first step in my opinion, because most of the organizations that we work with at least already have some processes. They already know their customer to a degree. They're just not showing up in the way that the customer expects and their processes and their technology and their enablement and their insights are not aligned to that. So, so, so that's where we kind of start, but I don't think that your guest is incorrect. Uh, I do think that it's more about the buying experience and we've dictated the buying experience as hopefully our customers from day one that we work with them have a good idea of the customer, but we obviously see sometimes they don't. And when they don't, what happens is we do this 3VC analysis, we do some work, and then we don't see the change that we really need to see. Like we're not seeing the pickup of about 26% that we actually see by doing this method. So then we'll start to say, okay, maybe this product workflow as far as your buying experience is not correct. Maybe we're not seeing this. Again, because from a revenue operations perspective, we don't get into CAC, we don't get into TAM, we don't get into the product side of the business. Some of those things are left to you know, the business operations people who are going, whoa, okay, we released this product, but it's not catching fire. We think of our job as anyone that enters into the pipeline, we're going to make sure they have a personalized buying experience that's really excellent, and we're going to get the most revenue out of them by delivering that. That's interesting. So you believe that revenue operations really starts once they enter into the pipeline as a warm lead? Uh, no, 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 no. Because for us, the pipeline starts the minute that we are, are interacting with them in marketing. Gotcha. First point of interaction, engagement. Gotcha. Yeah. And that could be a cold email out to them through some campaign you've done. That could be a field marketing event. That's to us stage zero of your thing. You have a sales pipeline and you might have one, two, three, four, five there, but go nimbly looks at it as essentially uh, broadening out and going from not known to suspect all the way to advocate. So when we talk about revenue operations, that's what we're covering. Well, let's get into something really difficult. And that was what's happened to us over the last four months in the SaaS industry. Um, our research, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, were companies were expecting an average of 40% year-over-year growth. In the first half of the year, they've only experienced 7% 
growth. That's both from a net dollar retention plus new name customer acquisition. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the average SaaS companies had to reduce their operating expenses by 12%. And of that 12% reduction, almost 35% was in sales and another 12% was in marketing. So 47% of the cost reduction, sales and marketing. Customer success, believe it or not, was pretty even. So my question to you is in this environment of reducing expenses and cost controls, how could you justify a company for the first time investing in a revenue operations function? Isn't that gonna be just more cost or is it reallocation of cost? Good question. I will say that those numbers that you gave are similar to what we're seeing across the board. We have a couple outlier customers who have alerting products. I'm not going to mention their names who are doing very well in the age of COVID, right? Um, because when customer churn is kind of the key, give, delivering great customer experience becomes more uh, beneficial. So we have a couple organizations who work in the support field of existing based business and they're doing very well. So their numbers are not affected by this, but go nimbly itself uh, we have seen uh, an expansion. I think you said, I don't know what you said for your numbers. I wrote them down, but I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get them all down on my piece of paper. But for expansion, Go Nimbly is actually up by about 20 or 30%. But from net new logos hitting us, we are 300% down for sure. Just the same way you said, Go Nimbly has very similar SaaS numbers. We were scheduled to grow this year by 120%. And I think we'll end up at around 40 or 50% growth. So from a, are we feeling it? Yes. Um, are our customers feeling it? Yes. Now getting into the broader question of where should you invest? Yeah. And so, how do you justify a new right. investment in revenue operations? I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, you don't need to adjust. It's not new, right? So I think of uh, revenue operations and this is more for the listeners of organizations that are probably under 500 people, which I'm guessing is most of the listeners and most of the organizations we work with, even the large ones are, you know, less than 500 people or so. I mean, some of our customers have thousands and thousands, but I think that you can do a lot. And so these are, these are numbers that I've pulled from Sirius. The, um, the average operations team, which people have, people that do Salesforce administration, people that do marketing auto, uh, automation work for you, all of those people, they have about a 10%, if they're a very good team, they have about a 10% impact to revenue. So really simply, if you had a million dollars of revenue that was coming in and you had a, and you had a world-class legacy operations team, you could expect to get $110,000 of revenue roughly, or 100, and, I'm sorry, 100 and, uh, yeah, some, something. You would get a 10% gain. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not able yeah, to. If it was that. a million, it would be a million, 100,000. Right. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so those are the numbers that you should already be measuring your legacy operations teams under. Most operations teams aren't given a number, but that you should give them a number. Meaning, if you were a CEO of a company and you said we wanted to grow by 5 million, I would only assign out for something of that to my sales team and then say the rest we're going to pick up through operational efficiency. And that is a very different way of looking at operators than most organizations do, but you should look at them that way because they will actually come up with processes and systems that increase your revenue. Now, by just saying that, you're already on the way to revenue operations, right? So if, if anyone listening to this, if any CEO or COO or CRO is listening to this and then starts thinking that way, you're already building a revenue operations team because you're saying, I'm actually expecting that my operations team isn't just doing things that bring joy to my sales and marketing team, 
but instead do things that actually impact revenue. In that very nature, you're already thinking like a revenue operations team. The second thing you do, which is very much about cost efficiency, is you expect that your operators become generalists. So instead of hiring a Salesforce admin, you hire people based on raw skills of process understanding of the go-to-market functions, tools understanding of the go-to-market functions, uh, insights and enablement of the go-to-market functions. And by doing that, you create a generalist culture. So there's an average in most organizations of about 27 to 35% waste in the average 40 an hour a week employee. And that has been solely assigned to, and we're, I'm not talking about the stuff where you read like people don't focus enough, right? I'm talking about it being solely assigned to the fact that people can't always do their job because their job is so specific that you're asking them to run around with a hammer and there's just not that many nails for them to hit, right? You're saying having a dedicated Salesforce administrator and that's all the sheer he does, maybe that's not the best approach. You hire a journalist who can do Marketo and Salesforce and data analytics. Right, and maybe they, maybe they take 10% longer than your specialist, but the diversity the fact that they have a tool belt around their waist and they can do all of these other things will ultimately save you money, but also be able to have you focus on what's going to generate the most revenue. Let me go back to something you said though, because if you said what I think you said, and I'm going to say, man, that is great. I just don't know how many operating people will be able to take this. Let's say it's a $10 million company and you've invested in having this integrated holistic revenue operations team. Are you saying that if the goal was to grow to 11 million next year, that they should own that 11 million or even $11.1 million goal along with the sales team? Yeah, they should. Yeah, in that example, they would own $100,000. They only own 100, so they don't own the whole number. The head of sales- I mean, they wouldn't hold 10, for us, we would only say 10% because a great revenue operations team should be able to pick up 26%. Guys, 26% increased revenue growth. Yep. Wow, so, but Jason, tell me this. So once again, that, I'll make it really simple. I'm a 10 million ARR company and I'm supposed to get 4 million of new ARR this year. Take 4 million of new ARR. Why wouldn't the revenue operations own that whole 4 million number just like the head of sales does or the head of marketing does? Uh, You could. uh, I mean, they actually do. I mean, technically though, you're talking about one revenue team. But if I was going to assign out, and this is because the function of assigning out quota is still primarily with the sales team. Like that's still primarily with the sales team at most organizations. It's usually the head of sales or the CEO working with the sales team and saying, we want to grow by this. How can we doll this out? So what I'm trying to say is the easiest way to think about this is come up with your quota, just the normal quota way that you ever, you do it. And if you want to be judicious because you don't think that you have a world-class revenue operations team, take a number that's greater than 10%, say 15%. Um, And so I'm going to do that on 4 million, right? And so 14% on, uh, $4 $4 million is $600,000. Yep. So now I'm expecting that my organization grows by $4,600,000 and I am not going to assign that quota to a sales rep at all. I am just going to say, this is what I'm going to measure my revenue operations team against. And if I close, if I assign out $4 million to my team, I should actually see back 4.6. Wow. So you're saying if you have a head of revenue operations, they should own that 600K number above and beyond the quota that's allocated to AEs. Correct. Correct. Well, what's interesting about that, Jason, you probably know, there's always over quota assignment in almost every sales organization. 
If yep. they want $4 million of new ARR, they typically will over-assign quota by anywhere from 10 to 25%. Yes. Because they know the average sales organizations are only going to hit 75 or 80% of quota. So what you're saying is we could maybe stop that over-assignment and instead reallocate it to the RevOps team. Sure. I mean, you know your sales team is the best, right? This is not about sales um, psychology. If your team can only hit 70 and if you know if you raise it, they're going to hit 70 of whatever you give it to them, you can still tell the team it's $5 million or whatever that would be. Uh, um, but give a different target to your head of revenue operations and say, this is how much I want you to generate based on the fact that I'm not going to go out and hire uh, additional sales for that $600,000. I'm not going to go out and hire additional marketers for that. I'm expecting that you uh, run this to the customer buying experience. And that increases the average deal size that we see, the average volume we see, the, it increases the conversion that we see, because this is already happening in organizations, but the only people who ever get credit for it are the sales and marketing people. Well, what it also says, Jason, once again, using one of the metrics that a lot of CFOs use is my, if my sales team has a $5 million quota, I know they're only going to hit 80% of that, so $4 million. So what you're saying, which is really interesting, is by having a revenue operations team, I can go from an 80% productivity, maybe all the way up to 90 or even higher, just because of the impact of RevOps. That's correct. 100%, 100%. You've, you're one of the only people working through these numbers that can really truly understand, have, has reiterated it correctly back to me. That's 100% what I'm saying. It's 100% why this is not a trend. It's 100% why I believe this is going to be the same thing as moving from uh, Ford manufacturing to lean manufacturing or uh, regular development to uh, waterfall development to agile development. It is fundamentally going to change the way businesses work and think about how they go to market. And it's going to actually impact your customer the most because they're going to have a better, more pleasant experience, but you're going to be picking up more revenue from them. I'm going to ask you something because you mentioned the silo syndrome. Yes. And I know when we first met, one of the things we shared in common was our appreciation of Phil Inser, who kind of created the silo syndrome, which said, as you try to gain incremental operational efficiency in each function or department, you lose overall company efficiency, right? And productivity. Yep. Yes. I was just on a session with the CEO of Zoom Info, Henry Shuck. And he talked about, you know, they just went public, so they're kind of a, a shiny, bright object right now in the industry. Mm -hmm. They've gotten so specialized where they even have like three different types of SDRs. So they think that functional specialization and even more silos with very discrete metrics is a better way to approach it than generalist. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you ever heard Henry speak and if you've got any perspective on that. I mean, Henry's a more successful CEO than me and he knows what he's doing. I don't believe that's true. I believe he's probably pushing a lot of the generalism up to his management team and really probably using a less human honestly, more cog-based approach to managing Zoom info. Uh, would I want to work in that environment? The answer is no. Is that in a way you can run a business? Yes, it is. Is it a way that I think most people could run a business? No, it's not. In a business, there is lots and lots of people. 
Uh, and people are very hard to motivate and they're very protectionist about their own self-interests. The more that you feed into that, the more misalignment you have within your team. Now, a company going public and people having shares of that company is a very great North Star. So I think with all due respect to Henry, and he probably does has no idea who I am, I would say that he's created a North Star by trying to maneuver that company public by saying all hands on board, do these things so that we have the biggest evaluation when we go live. And he probably has a company motivated by that go live event. What are they gonna do now? Totally, the, the going public was a North Star. He had another North Star and it's very aligned with what you said, Jason. It's about the customer experience. They made a commitment that anyone who came into the Zoom Info website and expressed interest that they would be reached out to by a human in five minutes or less way he was able to accomplish that was through specialization. So the goal was the same. They used specialization as a way to do that, including another metric that he shared was 15% of the meetings that their SDR scheduled were no-shows. Yeah. So he had a specialized function that all they were responsible for was calling those no-shows and try to reschedule. And just for those no-shows that did reschedule, they drove an extra $1.5 million a quarter. I wonder though, if, if he zooms out at that and really talks about the journey of an employee, I wonder if they actually maneuver through specializations and actually become generalists through their tenure at Zoom Info. Because when you do a model like that, which is highly specialized, the way that you usually get peak performance is by having a rotational program where an SDR might be doing that cold calling for three months, then they might move into a different role and master that, and then another role and master that, more like a Sigma black belt kind of methodology mindset, which can work, but just takes a really programmatic leader to think of that those programs that way. But I wonder if when he's talking about the specific skills with specific KPIs, if he's talking about roles, but I wonder what a person's journey at Zoom Info is. Yeah, you know, you know, Jason, it tells me how well you know this stuff. They have about six, the maximum nine month assignments. So there's three roles in the, SD, the sales development team and an SDR will go through all three of those within 18 months. Yeah, that, that would be a sound program. And what you're really doing is you're creating generalists. You're just creating generalists with highly specific mission outcomes. Yeah. He believes that that then makes a more well-rounded first level inside AE, account executive. I totally agree with him. I would argue that he should stop going around saying that he's creating specialties where what he's creating is desired outcomes by role and then rotating people so they become well-rounded. He's not actually creating specialists. Well, you know, once again, this wasn't something I thought we'd talk about, but you took me there. And that is your belief that in revenue operations, you don't hire specialists, you hire generalists. What is the career path for a revenue operations professional who starts as a generalist? So I believe heavily, and one of the things that you know I'll be coming out with in the, probably the next couple of months is uh, what are the skills of a revenue operator? And that will be different than what the skills of, are of a sales operations person is. I'm starting to actually believe that maybe there's still room in this world that I, I imagine for sales operations, which is essentially a sales admin or marketing operations, which is a marketing admin for things that only benefit the sales and marketing team right? Like uh, getting your forecast ready. I don't really know if forecast, getting someone's forecast ready and hounding people to update their numbers is really an effective use of a silo breaking revenue operations team. Um, I don't think it's a good 
good use of the sales manager's time, but they spend a hell of a lot of time doing it. Right. So I don't know if there's still a world where you have these more administrative roles, which is how sales operations and marketing operations and all these things kind of came about is they used to be called admins, right? Let's be honest with our career trajectory as operators. They used to be admins. Uh, but then the world got more complex and the technology got more complex and the processes got more complex. And so we actually developed into full blown professionals. But I think there's probably a world to go back to in some ways to uh, admin because salespeople do need admins and so do marketers. And so does every other part of the business that are really focused on essentially the, cu the customer and interacting with the customer. Uh, so what I actually think is happening in, that, in that, that transition is that the revenue operations team is going to have a new set of skills. Some of them are going to sound like sales operations skills. Some of them are going to sound like marketing operations skills. But I think, and this is how I lead GoNimbly, is we are a betterment-based culture. There is no hierarchy at GoNimbly. You work in a team there is very little management. You only have maybe one manager and we try to, we, we're a flatter organization. And ultimately, I think that what it's all about is personal growth, personal growth and expansion. And the more, especially when you start assigning these numbers that we just talked about, the more that your operations team can handle from a number perspective, they should be compensated similarly to sales reps. They should get commissions for the work they're doing or bonuses at the minimum, if you don't believe it, should be commissions, right? Because they should be influencing the number in a way that is dramatic to your business. And when it's dramatic to your business like that, you should be compensating them dramatically as well. So I actually think that the answer is, how does a, what's the career progression of a salesperson? No one ever asked that question. You're right. And typically it's either you become a sales manager, which half of great salespeople aren't great sales managers, or you go to another company and you do the same role again. Correct. And you get, you get better at your craft. It's a craft, right? Sales is a craft. So is operating a business. I don't want operators that want to just exit the operations role and move into something else. I want people who are passionate about operating the buying experience. And those are the people I look for and they're going to get better and your team's going to get better. And the problems that you face in this role is always evolving, especially in SaaS because you're growing so rapidly, right? So what you did a year ago is not going to be what you do tomorrow. And that's what makes the job really exciting. From a career directory perspective, it's usually like you can go uh, analyst to revenue operations person to manager, so on and so forth, because in most organizations, they still have a very hierarchical approach to how they maneuver themselves. And so you can kind of just match that if that's that's what your organization does. We don't do it that way because I don't value that. I'd rather just pay you more money because you're generating more money. That's my general idea. You mentioned something at the very beginning and we've got about five more minutes and I could go on all day with you, Jason, but we need to be respectful of the audience time. Yeah. Um, you mentioned two functions, kind of that go-to-market team has the sales, the marketing, the customer success practitioners, and then the operators. Where does sales enablement fit into this model? Sales enablement about the process, about the tools, falls directly into the hands of revenue operations. Because what they're doing is, and this is very true with most technology, let's take a piece of technology like Drift. Drift touches marketing, customer success, and sales. They all need to know how to use it and they need to know what their part in that process looks like. That piece of technology is a perfect example of a revenue operations enablement because it's about enabling the process and the technology across the revenue team. Sales coaching should live in the sales team. And that's about individual rep coaching. And I think that sometimes we mix up the two when we talk about sales enablement. And so I would really love to say 
there's no such thing as sales enablement. There is go-to-market enablement or go-to-market process enablement and tool, tool training. And then there is individual rep coaching. And individual rep coaching should be handled within their individual functions. Maybe you have a great sales rep who really understands how to coach other sales reps. They can coach those people and build individual plans for them. That's not enablement to me. Enablement is more of a revenue operations function, which is, hey, we're changing the way that we go to market here is the training and materials and why we're doing that, that is going to touch everyone on the go-to-market team. I, I'm totally aligned with what you just said. I'm just not sure how many VPs or directors of sales enablement believe they should be in the operations group versus a direct report to the CRO. Or yep. I, 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 to I totally agree with you. And I would ask you, why? Is it because you really are passionate about coaching reps individually? Now you're a sales coach, so you're still in the same, you're in the same realm. Or do you want to know about processes holistically? If you want to know about processes holistically, then you should be in the revenue operations enablement team. And, or not team, it's a, just a function within that. You could have a team of people doing it, but it's just a function. Then you should move over there because I think that there are different types of people in enablement and it's just kind of got this lump sum name given to it over time now. That, and that's how I kind of view it. I, I find that when you ask that question, what are you really good at and what do you think is the valuable part of enablement? They'll either answer you, I think it's coaching individuals to hit target or they'll say it's enabling process across the go-to-market team. And by the way, if sales enablement or go-to-market enablement is effective, it should add 10, 15, 20% to your revenue growth. Correct. The measurements are exactly the same. Correct. Big question about revenue operations before we wrap up here. The CRO, Chief Revenue Officer. Sometimes it's a glorified title for a head of sales. Some times it's truly integrating marketing, sales, and customer success. Can you have an effective revenue operations team without having a CRO that owns all three go-to-market functions? Sure. You can, ha uh, the owner of those functions don't matter if the business believes in the functions themselves. Like you could have a, a lot, some, you know, small hundred person companies just have a COO and maybe a COO. Um, they don't have any of that other stuff. But the key thing there is then you have to have very strong directors or leadership because your head of revenue operations needs to stand right next to your VP of sales. It's kind of hard at this point in time with the maturity of RevOps to have a head of revenue operations be as strong as a VP of sales because VP of sales is a title that people have had more experience in. And they carry a number, a big number. Yeah, they carry a big number. And just the way they hold themselves and the responsibility they face is a little bit different than this new role, right? And so I find that sometimes a CRO is very beneficial, especially if they believe in this mindset, because what they can actually do is add a lot of credibility to the revenue operations team. But if you, have a, if you really have a team who believes in this holistically, and believe me, tons of sales and marketing leaders believe in this messaging. What you'll see is it doesn't really matter if you don't have someone overarching and those and the three head, you know, the four heads of those teams can all align and work together, then you really don't need to worry about it. So, so what you're saying is if you have your 200, 300 person company, you've got a head of sales, you've got a head of marketing, you have a head of customer success, and they all report to the CEO. Who would the head of revenue operations report to in that situation? The CEO or one of those three? CEO, correct. CEO. Yeah. So you're saying you got to elevate it to that level to be a peer to the head of the function. Correct. Correct. And, yeah. and, if, and if in your organization, it's not seen that way, it's helpful to have a advocate CRO. I mean, it's a help. It's, it, it's, it's a, it's a helpful way of uh, elevating the best teams I've seen. have been elevated by the 
the CRO has started, even when the ones are very sales focused, they have seen this and believe in it and they'll start to elevate their operations team. Gotcha. So last question, Jason, um, and you've implemented revenue operations functions or helps um, scale revenue operation functions for a lot of companies. If you currently have a dedicated marketing operations team, a dedicated sales operations team, and a dedicated customer success operations teams, what do you recommend for deploying a more integrated revenue operations team? Is there a one model that works? The first thing that I would start doing is having unified team meetings using something called action meetings as a backdrop for that, which changes you very action oriented. And then I would say you need to start spotting gaps and building a roadmap because one of the key things we didn't talk about in revenue operations is you should run like a product. And so you should have a roadmap that you're putting your, pro you're putting your work onto and that you're circulating amongst the, the rest of the go-to-market team, the sales and marketing customer success team and why you're doing the work. It really just takes unifying those people under the idea. And it's very, very common. Even at GoNimbly, we hire, everybody we hire has a background in either sales operations, marketing operations, or customer success operations. So they come to us with a specialization and then we do a lot of deprogramming of that into a generalist, right? Because that's just the kind of people that you can hire today. There's not really this generalist pool, even though GoNimbly is trying to create it, there's not really this generalist pool out there to hire from today. So I would say that just start to unify those teams, use action means as a format people can look up online. And that's kind of what we've seen is the biggest way to kind of unify those teams and have them start to work together. And as far as putting a leader in front of, ahead of those teams, do you see that people from marketing ops are a better fit than sales ops? Or is it just based upon a certain profile of skill sets? It does. It's whoever actually believes in the messaging the most is going to be the best leader for this kind of team. Uh, I find that even great sales ops people may tend to still lean more sales ops instead of really embracing the generalist uh, holistic mindset. So I would say find the person on your team who is skilled, but actually believes that there's something beneficial from working with other people within the organization. Uh, and that is your actual revenue operations person. I will tell you that millennials already think this way. Millennials come into organizations going, how can I help my company way more than I find older folks who go, how do I do my job the best? And so I will say that a lot of these revenue operators that we've been hiring is it's been easier for us to hire people in their mid twenties who have a mindset of, okay, I'm going to, I want to make the most impact versus I want to do the best job. They're very different mindsets in my opinion. Jason. I tell you, I, I just, you just came up with a concept for a future podcast because every kind of 40 year old plus leader who's in second or third level or above management in Silicon Valley is trying to find how do I actually engage and lead and incent millennials. And it sounds like you may have found a, found a secret sauce. Thank you. Yes, I think I have. That sauce is delicious. <laughs> Great. Hey, Jason, thank you so much for joining the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Really appreciate your time. And I tell you, there would be no reason that a CFO or head of sales, marketing, customer success wouldn't want to talk to Go Nimbly if you think you can increase revenue by 10 to 26%. That's an amazing story. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much, Ray.